Welcome back to Inspired. I'm Umbreen Khan. If you're just joining, this week we're hearing from activists, volunteer organizers, and everyday folks who are stepping up to help their neighbors. From reclaiming the ancient tradition of gleaning to sorting and collecting supplies and distributing food for new arrivals. When looking for ways to help, many turn to faith-based communities for volunteer opportunities, in part because across many traditions, helping the vulnerable is a core tenant. That is absolutely true when it comes to food and hunger. I think the charitable food system was really born out of the faith-based community. That's Kate Martin. She serves as the executive director of the Institute for Hunger Research and Solutions at Connecticut Food Share. It's a nonprofit organization working to end hunger in Hartford and Tolane counties. Martin spent most of her career in academia studying policies and practices. She also engages stakeholders, and that includes listening to clients. Her research informs her new book, Reinventing Food Banks and Pantries, New Tools to End Hunger. In it, Kate Martin makes the case for why it's time to re-examine how we do good. I've seen so many really wonderful, innovative programs around the country. Many of them are in faith-based organizations. But unfortunately, I've also seen a lot of really well-meaning programs and volunteers that are, I would say, kind of old school, delivering food in ways that can perpetuate um, some of the shame and stigma with asking for help. And I wanted to put all that into a book so that folks could hopefully be inspired and have action steps that they could take in their communities. It's interesting how you just described that, that perpetuating shame and stigma, thinking about the dynamic, the power between the giver and the receiver. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what some of the best practices are that you have discovered and maybe an example of one of the lessons of what we don't want to do. So I'll give two examples. The traditional food pantry model is where volunteers pre-bag the same food items for every individual. They pack them all in bags. People come to get help and they're handed the same identical bag. It's very efficient. And it's definitely that power dynamic between the giver and the receiver. The better practice is allowing for client choice so that you design the pantry setting so it looks more like a grocery store where people can shop for their food with dignity. And when you think of interfaith um, issues and trying to respect different cultures and backgrounds and all of that. So what I challenge is paying close attention to who are we serving right? Are we serving the convenience and the needs of our volunteers or are we serving the families who are coming in to get food? So that's one example. And another is inviting some of the guests who come to pick up food to serve as volunteers. So it again breaks down some of those power dynamics and you have folks that are from the community who are better able to talk about the needs and the challenges and the goals and the desires when they're on the forefront of helping to make those decisions. How much attention is given to that human dignity part from identifying the need to providing the actual support and service? 
Right. And let me just preface by saying, you know, we all have been through a global pandemic that none of us ever have witnessed in our lifetimes. There's an incredible amount of effort that went into having to pivot quickly and say, let's do a drive through model where we can't serve people inside, you know. So there's that. I think that increasingly there is more attention and interest in looking at equity, looking at dignity, looking at choice, looking at cultural food preferences. The challenge is that we as human beings don't like to change a whole lot. And so it's easy to get into the status quo of this is how we've always done things. I was listening to an excerpt from your book. You said if, and I'm going to paraphrase here, that the charitable sector has done amazing work, but in some ways, the growth and the stepping in of the charitable sector to address this vulnerability, this hunger, this need, has in some ways let the government sort of off the hook. Right, right. Talk about that. Yeah, well, I can't take all the credit on that one. I was inspired throughout my career by Janet Poppendike, who wrote a wonderful book called Sweet Charity. And she really made that argument that we have these fantastic federal food assistance programs, the safety net of SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, it's now called SNAP, and school meals. That really is our the first line of defense against hunger. We have these programs, they work well, but they're often underfunded. One of the really, really intriguing things um, is the U.S. Department of Agriculture just released data on food insecurity showing that food insecurity really didn't budge between 2019 and 2020, which is shocking because all of us have seen these lines of cars. We know people have been laid off of work. And I would argue that a lot of that is because the government intervened so heavily with stimulus checks, with um eviction moratoriums with increased benefits for SNAP and other outreach so that people didn't struggle as much as they might have if the government didn't intervene. For volunteers, for people who are tangentially supporting these networks, what should they be advocating for? I very clearly believe that hunger in America is a matter of political will. We can solve this problem. What I try to outline in my book is many, many different ways, big and small, big P policy, little P policy, big A advocacy, little A advocacy that people can get involved. Because for some folks, the idea of like, you should write your legislator to increase benefits for the SNAP program, that's not something they're going to likely do. But advocating at the local level to say, are there better ways that we can operate this food program so it's not so demeaning um, and often humiliating and perpetuating that, you know, that barrier? Are there small things that you can advocate for within your local programs to say, have you thought about offering client choice? Have we thought about engaging our guests as volunteers? And then I think when we design programs that are more dignified, it opens up the opportunity for the people who are receiving help to become advocates, not only for themselves, but for their community, so that they can feel empowered to say, it's not okay that there isn't affordable childcare in my community. It's not okay that there isn't transportation to get to the grocery store, like advocating for that systems level change. 
What role do you see faith communities playing today? They're critical. And I think the charitable food system was really born out of the faith-based community. It often was neighbors who were showing up at church, at synagogue, at you know mosque saying, you know, my husband got laid off or I just got divorced and I'm having a hard time feeding my kids and people step up. And I think it's it's rooted in so many faiths to, you know, feed the hungry and to, you know, be there. So I don't think our charitable food system would exist without the faith-based community. Having said that, you know, then here are all these, you can layer in all these other opportunities to make it even better. And what should faith communities be mindful of? I think the more that we can design programs that are more strength-based and person-centered, moving away from a charity mindset, which often, you know, when you think of like that faith-based approach, it's often charity, moving more along the continuum to fight for justice. That was Kate Martin. She serves as the executive director of the Institute for Hunger Research and Solutions at Connecticut Food Share, the nonprofit organization working to end hunger in Hartford and Tolane counties. That's all for this week's show. If you missed any part, you can stream it online at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or really the podcaster of your choice. Just search Interfaith Voices. And while you're there, help us out. Leave a rating and a review. It helps others find us. A special thanks to MC Yogi for our theme music, additional music by Blue Dot Sessions, and a special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy and Kimberly Winston. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Remember to stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. I'll see you next week.